Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, or administrators, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not, uh, might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now last week we, we talked about how Daniel at this point is 83 years old. And we talked about the difference between retiring and the world's views of retiring, you know, 65, maybe 67 and a half. And for those that are fortunate to retire early. But really, in reality, God calls us to retire when? When he calls us home. So we never really retire from God's kingdom. We never really retire from serving him in one way or another. Now, it may change the way we serve, but we never really retire from that. Daniel's been in Babylon for a long time. For 67 years, he's been under different rulers. First, it was Nebuchadnezzar, and then it was Amal Amal Marduk, or Neraglisser, or Labashi Marduk, or Nabunidist, and then Belshazzar. And at the end of chapter 5... History and and Daniel both tells us that Belshazzar is killed on October 12th of 539 B.C. in his palace. His, you know, he, he hosted a drunken party, and last week we, we last week we learned about this, where the hand of God actually writes on the wall. And, and if you you know want to, if you missed that last week, we have CDs. You can grab them; they're free back there. But he hosts this drunken party, and the, and the Persians literally slip under the gates. They redirected the river and, and slipped under the, the gates that were over the river that came through there. And they literally went in and killed almost all the people in Babylon. Now Cyrus is the, the Persian ruler whose army defeats Belshazzar. And Cyrus's lieutenant is actually called Nabur, uh, Nabur, or Nubaru. Thank you. Yeah. I can't help it. But we know him as, what I like to call him, because I can pronounce it, Darius the Mede. If you've ever heard that term, Darius the Mede, it's the same guy. Just two different languages on two different names here. But, you know, uh, so he's given rule over Babylon here. And, you know, he's 20 years younger than Daniel at age 62. So Darius selects 120 guys to kind of be in charge. They're called satraps. And then three governors, basically, the people to administer the, the country, in a sense, or that area over them. And Daniel's one of those three. And at age 83, Daniel still has it. He's still getting, um, you, you know, the, the, the spirit is going along with him. And people are sitting there going, man, I, I really, there's something about this guy, Daniel, I really like. He still has it. So at the age of retirement, Daniel still has this great attitude and really is ready to roll. In Daniel 1 and 2, we talked about the young people rising up, rising above. We talked about how these young people are are basically stolen from, from Israel. And come into Babylon, and they're in Babylon. But, but, but you know, even though you're out there in Babylon, out there in the world as we call it, you know, God still wants them to do well. Don't forget your values. And we challenged our young people to not forget the values. But Daniel 5 and 6, we're speaking to those that are older among us. 
I know, since I'm 40, I guess I can include myself in that. But, I mean, this guy at 83, he's still going. You know, so we need to be careful not to settle down too much. I'm sure at 83, Daniel, you know, had a hard time getting out of bed sometimes. Or sitting there going, oh, I just want to call in sick. I know I'm supposed to preach this morning, but I just want to call in sick. Or days when he's looking around, you know, everybody's using their iPhone and the Blackberries, whatever those were of the day. And he's sitting there going, my fingers just don't type like that. Man, these whippersnappers. These guys, I, I just don't get them. But we really don't hear this from Daniel. We don't really hear Daniel complain. I'm sure that he didn't like all the changes, but he doesn't write about those, you know, he doesn't write those things down. He stays positive. Now in chapter 6, Darius, King Darius is just observing what's going on. What, what a lot of people already knew is that Daniel had the Spirit of God in him. He's the same person he was at age 15 when it came to God. Now, when it came to maturity and all the things he learned, of course he's changed. But when it comes to God, he's still going to God every day. And if you like him, man, you know, Daniel's one of those guys that's easy to work for, easy to follow, easy to be around. So Daniel's doing great. The king thinks, you know, about putting him in charge and, and Daniel's rivals, way back when they were rivals and they're still rivals today, are not very happy about that. They're like, let's destroy him. Verse 4 says, oh, yeah, I forgot to put this in there. I always do that. I even put a picture in my notes and I always forget about it. This is uh, King Darius's tomb. Literally, they went to the sandstone rock and carved out this huge tomb that's way up the side of the wall so nobody could rob it. Of course, it was robbed and everything. But just kind of give you an idea. This is history, guys. This isn't just Bible stories that are all neat. And who is this guy, Darius? He really lived and he really was in charge of Babylon. So verse 4, it says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government, uh, government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Politics hasn't changed, has it? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You know, I don't think that that uh, has ever been said about me. I mean, completely trustworthy, completely non-corrupt, and completely, you know, not ever negligent. You know, I think there's times when I've been negligent or, or been untrustworthy. I think that could be said of all of us. But here, Daniel, man, to be said, you know, that to be said about him is just phenomenal. Verse 5, it says, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Dan, uh, this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, it's amazing to me that his enemies have finally figured this out. He's got no skeletons in the closet. But let's, let's just start saying he's a religious fanatic. There's a lot of different gods here in Babylon. Let's just say he's out there. Let's just say he's far, you know, right wing or left wing, whatever, you know, thing you want to put on it. But he's just out there. You know, let's get this into the news. Anything that we can say about him, let's start these rumors. They knew that Daniel and his friends over the years had risked everything when it came to their God. Nothing was going to get in between them and their beliefs in their God. They always chose God. Verse 6, it goes on, it says, So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed. Now, have they all agreed? They're after Daniel. Daniel's like the top dog? No, they haven't all agreed. 
But they all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that everyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, know, to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. This would really be good for us, king. And it does pretty, you know, it, it helps his ego, doesn't it? Oh, this would be great. Let's set the record straight of who is in, really in charge here in Babylon. There's all these different gods that they worship, but they need to worship you first. You know, there's some really weird religions out there. Let's, let's, let's set it straight. Verse 8, it says, Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered. And if you've uh, you know, studied the book of Esther and, and the Medo-Persian Empire, once they literally put a law, uh, you know, put something into law, it could not be repealed. I mean, it was law. The king, we're going to find out here in a second. The king couldn't even repeal his own law that was put into effect. So here, you know, let's put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the, uh, put the decree in writing. He's going to re- regret this very soon. And he's going he's to soon find out that he was kind of duped. And he's going to feel really duped in this and, and really lied to. And they tell him, you know, all the advisors, they agreed. Verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, is the reason why Daniel at age 83 is great. That he's still a threat. He's been doing this since he was a teenager. Now, did you notice that he didn't even go to Darius? I mean, he had a, he basically had the hallway pass or the kingdom pass or the, you know, to get into the throne room. He had a throne room pass. I mean, he was, he was kind of the second command almost at this point for, for King Darius. He could have gone to the king and said, what are you doing here? We need to, we need to make another law. Do something about this. But he didn't. He goes home. He could have said, man, let's, let's get everybody in the office. We, let's get the team together. We've got to figure out how do we counterattack this. We've got to attack this. We can't allow this to happen. We've got to stand our ground. He didn't. He went home. We know that he didn't confront his enemy. He could have had their heads. They worked for him. He could have had their heads, but he doesn't do that. Good days and bad days... He always goes home to be with the Lord three times a day. At least three times a day. I mean, they got him. He's guilty. He's guilty of prayer. He's guilty of praying to his God. It's illegal to pray to God at this point in his kingdom. He's in danger in the society that he lives in. Three times a day, on the clock, he prays, and they know this. Hey, Daniel, can we do an early morning meeting? You know, like 7 o'clock? Well, no, I, so I, I have something at 7 o'clock. Well, how about a lunch meeting? Well, no, no, I, I go home for lunch. Well, we know you do, but this is an emergency, Daniel. We gotta, we gotta, no, no, I, I go home for lunch. How about a late meeting? No, no, I, I have my schedule. Three times a day, he does this. How annoying would it be to work for this guy? You know? But this was not optional for him. 
Verse 10, it says again, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He went home from work. He got away from work. He got away from the palace. He started and ended, and in the middle of the day he went home. He got away from the distractions. He is quiet, he is faithful, and he is consistent here. He didn't go out there and pray really loud. You know, I dare you to stop me. He went to pray because it was time to pray. Not because of the crisis. Now, you don't, don't think you have to point toward Jerusalem. That's not for us. He did that because he missed his home. Not because it was a, you know, uh, some type of law that he had to follow within the Jewish community. He just did that because he missed his home. Well, where do we pray? We pray to God. You know, we always bow our heads. Well, you don't have to bow your head to pray with God. You don't have to close your eyes to pray with God. Now, sometimes that blocks out distractions. But you can talk to God like he's sitting right next to you. I do that in the car all the time. I'm like, man, I can't believe the driver cut me off. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I know. I know I shouldn't get mad about that. I talk to him all the time about that. And he's like, you still haven't learned, Alan. But he goes to his upper room. So he has a place in, in his home that he prays. A specific place, somewhere where he does not get dis, uh, you know, distracted. Ask God where a good place is for you. He will show you. He will show you. And your heart will start to want to connect with God. So he goes home and he opens the doors toward Jerusalem. He's never forgotten his homeland like we talked about. He gets down on his knees. He kneels. You know, this kind of signifies who's in charge. God. He sits down and he prayers. Prayers like Psalms 55, written by David. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. Do you think Daniel's thoughts trouble him at this point? My thoughts trouble me, and I'm distraught at the voice of my enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. In verse 17, it goes down, it says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Now, we do know that Daniel would have access to the scripture at these points. They would have been written so he could actually read them. And I'm sure he, he prayed a lot of the same prayers as David prayed. So this afternoon, you get a chance to read Psalms 55. It's very interesting. And ask yourself, and, and, you know, ask yourself, man, David and Daniel, how, how can I be a David and a Daniel? How can I get to this point in my life where I actually go to God about these things? Then it says, giving thanks to his God, going back to the, the scripture, it says, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And this is the third thing on the list. He gave thanks on days in which he probably wouldn't have if he thought about it for, for, for that long. You know, there are days when you're sitting here going, I don't want to talk to God because there's some things I'd say. Or there's these days where I'm sitting there going, uh, today's a terrible day. I just want to go and veg. I just want to get away. But Daniel, he's thankful anyway. And this is the thing. Daniel has been exalted in his lifetimes, in his lifetime with riches and power beyond anything that, that you or I probably could ever imagine. More than once, and at this point, he is the most wealthy and powerful that he has ever been in his whole life. And especially after the lion's den, he'll become even more than that. Yet for all of his powers, for all of his riches, his soul actually prospered to the point that most, you know, 
over his lifetime, he went to God so much, and he, you know, his relationship with God improved because the ups and the downs, he always went to the Lord. Remember, as a teenager, the fall of uh, of his kingdom, the fall of Jerusalem and his city. You know, he had to join the conquering kingdom. Then the fall of that kingdom and the rise of another kingdom that he had to go through. And all the roller coasters, all the job changes, all the times that, you know, the ups and the downs, different bosses. I mean, his life was a roller coaster. But his life was also very steady. Do you know why and how? Because he spent time with the Lord three times a day. It was his custom. It was his way, his routine. We need to start this custom right now. Don't allow the other religions, don't allow the Muslims to outpray you on a daily basis. Now, we don't have to, you know, bring the prayer blanket and sit down and bow down, you know, five times a day like the Muslims. But we ought to be talking to our God five times a day or even more than that. Don't allow other religions to outpray you. If you're young, start now. You will have a better life if you do. And I don't mean an easier life. But your life will be steady because you stand on something that's permanent, something that's worthy. If you're an older person, you know, if you're like me, man, life, life just gets to you sometimes. How can, how can these things keep happening to me? You know, oftentimes that's what we say. All this stuff is happening to me. Start your custom now because your soul will cry out with purpose and meaning if you continue to go to the Lord. Let Daniel be, you know, be our, our example, our disciple here on this. But Alan, I, I have a real job. I don't have all the time like you have. I just can't stop what I'm doing and, and pray. Really? You're that busy. You're busier than the prime minister of Babylon named Daniel. You're that busy. In fact, you're busier. You know, you know what? If you keep telling yourself you're too busy to go, go to God, the devil's going to be right there. He's going to keep running rampant in your life in your decisions, and all the things that you rely on, Satan is just going to attack those things again and again because, because you have no protection. You're not going to the Lord. And when the crisis hit, that's when you go and pray, right? It's easy to pray during the crisis time. Not so easy, but easier than when we're going great. People who don't pray, what do you do? They panic. When a crisis comes, they panic. Which means you run out and you start doing the wrong things. Or you do the opposite. You get paralyzed and don't do anything. You just kind of veg. You go home, not to pray, but you go home to hide or eat or drink or watch TV. Or maybe you go to the protection side of things. So either you you panic or you paralyze yourself and not do anything. Or you protect, you freak out, you go into this defensive mode. Or maybe you attack I, you know, I got my four plans, plan A, B, C, or D. Depending on what happens is which plan I'm going to do. I've got this all worked out. And they get everybody, you get everybody working on the problem instead of wanting, instead of desiring to go to God and relying on Him. You know, it's okay to do some planning. It's okay to, you know, you know get the lawyer out when you need to get the lawyer out or the doctor or, or you know, whatever it is. 
But we can't leave the Lord out of it. When we leave God out of it, we're leaving a major component out of our life. Now, God is really good about, about being there when we call. He will have the right people in place. He'll have you know, things to help us out when we really need to be helped. But what you're doing is you're really robbing your relationship with God because what you're doing is making it a 911 situation. You don't develop that relationship with the police officer that you know that's down the street. But man, when you call 911, you're expecting him to, to rush right over. That's how we treat God. And if you help me, I promise God. Yeah. Verse 11, it goes on and says, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. I wonder why they knew he was praying. Three times a day. They knew it. They went and found him praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? Did you not say that? Did you not write it down? The reminding the king. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, 67 years, and there's still prejudice against the Jews here. One of those guys that, you brought, that were brought from Judah pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. The king at this point knows this is his fault. He totally blows it, and he recognizes that. You know, he trusted men that he should not have trusted, and he didn't consult men that he should have consulted. Verse 14, it says, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict of the king issued can be changed. They know the king's been working on it all day. They're just rubbing it in here. They bring in the lawyers with them. You can't change this. This is the law. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Then king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Darius just hopes he's right here. Completely hopes. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Now, the sealing of, of things is a very common thing. The king, you know, orders uh, were sealed by a ring, and the ring would have some type of signet on it or some type of, uh, you know, etching, and they would put it into the wax, and that meant only the person that's supposed to open it should open it. And if you open it, you know, if that wax ring is broken, somebody is in trouble. Same thing over the, tea, over the cave. They would do some type of wax thing on there. They'd all put the rings on it. Sounds like Christ in the tomb, doesn't it? In fact... This is kind of a, a type of Christ in the Old Testament at this point. And Daniel, you know, I, I can imagine him hearing the roaring of the lions. I'm sure it, at one point, I mean, he's relying on God. Don't get me wrong. He knows that God's going to take care of him. But at the same time, he's got to be scared out of his mind. He's got to be. I mean, it's not like these lions are all fat and happy down there. I mean, when they're going to throw somebody into the lion's den, they starve the lions. And Daniel, you know, they, they put this rock over it. 
But at the same time, he has a peace on this. And I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've ever been there, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You're going through a terrible situation. You've been knocked upside the head. You've been thrown for a loop. You're, you're on the ground and you, you can hardly look up. But you have a peace about it because you know that somehow God is going to get you through this. You don't know how. You're still scared half to death. But you still rely on God. That's what Daniel is doing here. He's totally scared, yet he has this peace about him. Darius, I can imagine, is sitting there observing this. And he's sitting there going, man, if I'd only haven't done this, if, I, if I'd only just, just, man, if I hadn't made that decision. But he's sitting there also at the same time observing Daniel. is beginning to want what Daniel has. Now, we, we really honestly don't have any idea what Daniel's thinking. I mean, I know what I'd be thinking. That's a lion roaring right there. Uh, you know, I'd be thinking, well, I'm maybe 83. I hope the drop kills me. Or, man, I hope these lions are incredibly hungry. I hope they don't just start out with the foot. I mean, get this over with quickly. No chewing allowed, just gulping. But I do know one thing. He wasn't afraid. He actually chose the lion's den over not being with his God. That's how come you know he wasn't completely afraid. If you won't let me spend time with my God three times a day, then I get to spend 24-7 with him because if you kill me, I'm going to go be with God. That's what a lifetime of being with God has taught Daniel. Daniel made his choice. This is like James Calvert. If you've never heard of uh, James Calvert, in the 1800s, he went to be a missionary in the Fiji Islands, and he got to know that you know, him and, and a group of, of men went to go be in Fiji, and as they were traveling by ship there, they got to know this whole group, it's like a missionary group, got to know the captain of the boat. And the captain came to, to really love these guys, really like these guys. He loved spending time with them. And along the way, you know, the captain started begging them not to go to shore. He's going, these guys on Fiji, they're cannibals. You're going to be killed. You're going to die. And it's written down that James Calvert looked back and hollered out to him, we are already dead. We died when we got on the boat. That is how committed these guys were. This is a great concept. It's like, in, you know, Paul in the New Testament, it says, I die daily for Christ. Daniel died daily for Christ. I mean, this is, it's not like this is no big deal. These lions are not cartoon lions. This is really, like I said earlier, it's not a children's story. These aren't even Sunday school Lions. I grew up with Sunday school lions. Yeah. They're all just smiling. I love the one yawning there. You know, I pulled up a few others, you know. They all got their little smiley faces on the line, little children's drawings, you know, kicked back, relaxed. Oh, we're just all hanging out, you know, and then there's. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's a real lion. Or how about this one? Yeah, we're talking lions, people. We're not talking cartoon drawings. Now, I, I'm looking at how many pages of notes and wondering if I ought to tell a story or not, but what the heck. Um, 
It'll only extend it a couple of minutes. I, I took a missionary trip to uh, Kenya, and halfway through, or toward the end of the trip, we decided to go on a safari. It's always nice to go on a missionary trip, and you know, depending on how long the trip is, you take a break in the middle because if your mind's so focused and so, you know, you just get drained on them. So you take a little trip. Well, at the end of this trip, we went on the safari out to the uh, the preserve where all the animals were, and, and we didn't see any cats on this particular trip. But but my senior pastor had gone. Um, that fall, or I think it was fall that when he went, uh, to check out the place. Because we'd never gone over to Kenya before. He wanted to check out the organization. It was a new organization we were going with. So he's out there, and they go on the safari trip on the last day that he was there. And um, it was during rainy season. Well, their van, think of a Volkswagen bug van with a roof that can go up, and you can stand up, and you got this, you know, you can take pictures through and watch all the animals. Well, their van kind of got stuck in the mud. The problem is where they stopped and got stuck was not right next to a pride of lions that were laying out less than 15 feet away from the van. So they're sitting there going, well, what do we do? Well, there's nothing to do. There's no one coming because you don't go out there in a muddy, rainy season because you get stuck. So they're literally out there pushing on the van, looking at the lions the whole time. And they got pictures and video of this. It's hilarious. But apparently they had just eaten because they weren't that interested in them. But imagine lions that haven't eaten. They're like this. This is a real threat for Daniel. This is what Daniel's facing as an 83-year-old man. And you have to ask yourself, why is this guy such a threat? Do you know what the big deal is? I think Daniel did more than just survive the lion's den. I think he actually enjoyed the lion's den. Now, Now, not at first. Until about when he realized what God was doing with it. He was in the pit and, and you know, they just rolled the boulder over, uh, boulder over it and you're stuck. These lions are probably, you know, part of the king's zoo that they would have these back, you know, hot and stuffy. It was probably a pit. You know, you could hear them breathing. You could hear them snorting because it's nighttime at this point. Sniffing him, going up, going, <laughs> you know, man. You can almost imagine that, you know, because we, we learned that the mouths were kind of shut. But did they roar? You know, like, Arr! you know, did, were their lips able to come open? They're like, Arr! you know, however they growl. I mean, think about it. This would scare you half to death. Daniel's already halfway there. Man, but he hears them roaring inside their mouth. You know, they can't open it. But I think in the lion's den... He celebrated a perfect peace. I bet you he was praising God once he figured it out like he'd never praised, you know, praised God before. He was sitting there hanging out with the angels. So, let me remind those who have been praying lately. Lord, man, I, I want to experience perfect peace. Lord, I want to experience your presence. Lord, I, I want to, you know, it would be neat if an angel came and hung out with me. Those are great prayers, and please pray those prayers. But maybe that explains some of the situation you're in. You're in the hot seat, and God is right there with you in the middle of it. Verse 18. It says, Then the king returned to the palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. I'm sure later on he told Daniel, Man, I just couldn't sleep last night. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you 
from the lions? He really loves this guy. Verse 21, he says that, that Daniel said, Get me out of here! I'm scared! Ah! Right? No. Verse 21, it says, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and has shut the mouth of the lions. They have not heard me, hurt me, because I found the innocent, I've been found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found in him because he trusted in his God. Now, I grew up with cats. You play with cats a little too rough, you don't come out unscarred. They got sharp nails. Now, I will say that if you put a sock over a cat's head, he'll run backwards until he hits something and then change directions, okay? That's all I'm going to say. But no scars whatsoever did Daniel have. This time, Daniel was rescued through the lion's den. Not from the lion's den, through the lion's den. I mean, are you learning this? First, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they were in the fiery furnace. Through it, God will always deliver us. Sometimes he delivers us from the lion's den. In other words, from. In other words, before it even happens, we don't end up there. And it probably happens more than we know, and you know, more than we even think about. But at other times, he delivers us through the lion's den. It actually, you know, allows us to smell the breasts of the lions. To have them come and sniff us, even kind of nudge us, and even, you know, throw us across the room sometimes. Yet we come out unscathed. Another way he delivers us is by the lion's den. In other words, martyrdom. Sometimes he allows us to become martyrs for him. He lets the lion's den actually take us. And we have to learn to trust him. To be okay with all three of these options. And we get okay with these things by spending time with him like Daniel did three times a day. Now, however many times you want to do it, but I'm saying we need to spend time with God. Did you notice that Daniel doesn't tell God how to deliver him? Well, God, if you just make an exit over here, or make, you know, is there a little boulder within, you know, in the cave that I can hide behind? He doesn't tell God how to do it. He doesn't say, God, okay, here is what I need you to do. Since the fall of man, we've come up with everything, with this idea that everything has to make sense. Everything has to have human reasoning to, you know, about it. And we've also figured out it's all about us. It's all about me and my little world, right? You'll see people having a hard time, and the number one question everyone asks is why? Because it's all about them. Because we don't recognize the bigger picture that God has for us. We don't recognize the bigger purpose here. We have to mature to a point in our relationship with God and the world where my why may be that, you know, King Darius sleeping in his own bed. And all of this might have something to do with King Darius and King Cyrus. About them allowing the Jews to return to, to rebuild the temple, the book of Esther. Because it's Cyrus that allows, you know, and, and Darius is his second in command, it's Cyrus that actually allows the Jews to return to the homeland. Maybe this is the start of all of that. Maybe Darius goes, man, you, Cyrus, you've got to get to know this Daniel guy. Let me tell you about what his God did. And then Cyrus recognizing, man, there's, I don't want to go up against this God. Jews, if you want to return home, go home to rebuild the temple. 
Maybe that's the reason why. But Daniel doesn't know that. We always ask why. When we should be looking going, okay God, I'm trusting you about this. Because in the end, we get there and we start to find out it wasn't about us. Maybe it was about Susie. Maybe it was about Ralph. Whatever, whatever name you want to put in. I'm going through this, and there's other people watching me, observing me go through this, and it may be about them, and I may never know that. I may not even know that. Sometimes it doesn't even benefit us whatsoever. We get through it, and we're like, wow, what was that all about? We need to mature to a point where we say, God, I'm okay with whatever you bring my way. If you're wanting and desiring a deeper relationship with God, then pray this and tell God, take over my life. I'm okay with whatever happens, good or bad, rich or poor, sad, happy, sickness, health, whatever it is, I'm okay. I will be okay. It's very important in this feel-good self-assessment world to get back and realizing that we worship a God who is in charge of all things, not just some things, all things. So if you choose to send me to the lion's den, Lord, I know you have a reason for that. Either he will save you from the lion's den, or through the lion's den, or he will save you by the lion's den. But no matter what, I will be okay. Why? Because I trust in the Lord. Verse 24 says that the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Our decisions affect our families. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Hmm. That's not the Sunday school lion. Proverbs 28.10 you know, talks about this where you fall into a trap that you've set for a righteous person. It's exactly what happened. Now, I also think it's, it's important for us to understand, Daniel did not go after these guys. He allowed God's justice to be done. Sometimes when things are done to us that are unjust, I mean, sometimes there's a place for confrontation. Don't get me wrong. But most of the time, we go straight for the confrontation before even talking to God. We just, let me go, oh, I'm not going to let them get away with this. And we go straight there, and God's sitting there going, whoa, 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 I had other plans to take care of this. God's vengeance, it's much more powerful than our vengeance. What if we just got out of the way and allowed God to do his work? He's, He's much better at it than I am. See, the danger of fighting fire with fire is what? You get burned. Only professionals fight fire with fire. And then only sometimes. Amateurs, what do we use? We use a water hose. I did that a couple of weeks ago at somebody's house. Driving by, there's a fire. Me and another guy got in the backyard, got a water hose on it. Until the fire department showed up and they brought a big hose. They didn't set another fire. You don't always fight fire with a fire. Verse 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you greatly... Prosper, or prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. 
His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius's life was changed by knowing Daniel. And we see the effect that Daniel has over his lifetime by meeting with God. It changes people's life. Go back and read you know, what, the first six chapters. The eunuch, he changed his life. The chief eunuchs. The executioner, he changed his life. He changed Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't be in the kingdom of God right now if it wasn't for, for Daniel being there. Darius' life is changed. We call it walking the talk. But more important than that, it's about influence. And influence as we live our life of faith out in front of an audience. Well, we're out of time for today. But the world needs to see us. They need to see how a believer handles crisis, how a believer handles prosperity, how a believer handles you know, pleasure or disappointment or mistakes or pain. And when we mature enough, then the effects are seen in other people's lives when they see our life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for examples like Daniel that we can you know, desire to attain to. We thank you for examples of Paul and many others who have made mistakes in their life, yet you turned them around. You're never willing to give up on us. We, may, we make mistakes, we sin, and, and you know it. There's nothing that can keep us from you when we desire it, Lord. I pray that we open up our minds to, to this history in, in the Word and use it to our advantage. That we don't just leave it lying there on a shelf or leave it on the, in the kids' room. And it is a great story that we apply it to our own lives, Lord. I pray for the Thanksgiving meal we're about to eat together. That you would just bless our time and our food and just that it be a, just a wonderful time of thankfulness and hanging out together. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face to shine down upon you, especially when you meet with him throughout the day. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.